0: They called him the Flying Scot. He won the gold medal in the 400 meter in 1924, the Paris Olympics. Now back then they didn't have award ceremonies. Well, they had medals, but they didn't have those award ceremonies. They just engraved your name on the back of the medal and mailed it to you later on. That's how they did it back then. But ceremony or not... Eric Little became one of the most famous Olympians and and one of the most famous runners in his era. And Eric Little had the most inefficient running style. In fact, a, a British newspaper, his own British newspaper, The Guardian, once wrote that Little is remembered among lovers of athletics, as probably the ugliest runner who ever won an Olympic championship. Well, When he, when he showed up at the 400 meters at Paris in 1924, his huge, sprawling stride, his head thrown back, his mouth open, his arms clawing back and forth, moved Americans and other sophisticated experts to just rude laughter as they mocked him. And even his own teammates, Harold Abraham said, "Yeah, it ain't pretty, but he wins medals." Hmm. Eric Little is the subject of a movie, maybe you've seen *Chariots of Fire*. Yeah, there's a line in that movie that has Little saying, "God made me fast." and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do any of you recall that line, if you've seen the movie? Yeah. Truth is, Little never actually said it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's the truth. Um, The the director of the movie wrote those words into the script for the actor who portrayed Eric Little. So, God made me fast. He, he 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 never said that. Here's what he said, here's what he said, Little actually said, God made me for China. Yeah, see, yeah, that's an amen. See, he was the son of, he was the son of missionary parents uh, who served in China. And Eric Little was born in China. He was he was um, he considered himself Chinese, and um, he returned to England. He studied at university at, at Edinburgh, and he became known as a runner and a preacher. But but the course of his life actually began after the Olympics. If you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire*, um, uh, it, it just kind of closes with this little excerpt that tells of Eric Little going to China. But, but that's really where his life, the course of his life, started. And uh, he, he returned to China as a missionary, and he married, and he taught and preached the gospel, and, and then he ministered when China was hurled into the terror of Imperial Japan at World War II. And before his own capture and imprisonment, Eric Little had sent his two daughters and his pregnant wife. um, He would never meet his third daughter. He He sent them away to Canada. And while he stayed in the concentration camp, Little's influence for Jesus was legendary. Uh, He had the kind of leadership that could transform the chaos of captivity into a piece of heaven on earth. And and there was an eyewitness who who actually survived the internment and and, uh, told of Little's quality of life. He had a quality of life that made prison camp survivable. This is what the eyewitness said. The eyewitness said, it is rare when a person has the good fortune to meet a saint. And Eric Little came as close to it as anyone I've ever known. And that, in a, in a grueling, gruesome concentration camp, which Little never left. He never left the concentration camp. He, he died of a brain tumor just months before the camp was liberated. And Eric Little's last words were, it's complete surrender. It's complete surrender. Hmm. Now, our text in Hebrews chapter 12 is an invitation to complete surrender in Christ. Complete surrender in Christ, to Christ, and for Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 informs us that life in Christ is like a race. And the preacher to the Hebrews says, let us also run the race. And so so here's our big idea this morning. Here it is. Here it is. Run your race fixed on Christ who endured for you. That's what I'm here to say. Say this with me. Would you run your race fixed on Christ who endured for you? Let's also run the race. Run your race. See, see these verses contain both a command and a supply. The the command is run. Let's run. It's Not a suggestion. Not an option. It's a command. And for all of us, let us also run. The command is run and the supply is Christ. He's our strength. And, and what this text is doing, and it's, it's teaching us, like, I want you to get this, church family. You will never quit your race if you keep your eyes fixed on Christ. You, you, you won't quit if your eyes stay on Christ. That's the deal. Run your race with your eyes fixed on Christ. He endured for you. Now, we know something about races in our town, don't we? just a few weeks there's going to be the Illinois Race Weekend and it's going to be crowded if the weather's like today. It's going to be a big day. It's going to be water stations and there'll be swag and you can, and I guess you can just pick your own race. It's a race buffet. Right? Choose your race. You want to do a marathon or a half marathon or a marathon relay, 10K, 5K, you get to choose. But our text tells us that you don't get to choose your race. Our text tells us that God chooses your race. The race that has been set before us. God has set the course of our race. God has painted the arrows on the streets. And you just need to follow the arrows one arrow at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And since it's a race, that means there's a starting point and there's a finishing point. So so the race of your life which you are now running, you're not going to run forever here in this life. According to the Bible, you're not going to be recycled or reincarnated. We start, and then we finish. We run the race in this life, and then there's the life to come. That's what the Scripture teaches. That's what biblical Christianity teaches. And in God's race, race, there's no competition between one another. There's not. I'm not competing against you because you have your race that Christ has set for you. And I have my race that Christ has set for me. So there's no point in comparing one another because Christ has set the race that he wants you to run. What we are doing, though, is we are running together toward a common destiny, a common person. Fix your eyes on Christ. Now, I don't know everything about everybody's race in this room, but I, I, I know this. Uh, I know, I know that, that, well, I wish I could say it, but it's not true that, that everybody's race is just sunny, flat, and downwind. Huh? Well, maybe part of it, but much of it isn't. It's not. I mean we ought to know that. We just come off of a a gray, windy winter, you know? And we're in these headwinds, and then we gotta go uphill, and the path isn't always just you know asphalt. It's a long, hard race. It's a long, hard race. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And for life, <laughs> there's a long-distance race. And that word race in verse 1, do you see it? The race that is set before us, the race is actually our English word, agony. Yeah, run the agony this is what the preacher to the Hebrew says. Run the agony with endurance. Endurance. So, so endurance is never passive. No, endurance is active. It is the active bearing up beneath a heavy load for a long, long time. That's what endurance is. That's what, endurance requires coronary faith as opposed to adrenal faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about adrenaline. I mean, ad, ad, adrenaline is my friend. Uh, adrenal faith will get a preacher through three services on Easter Sunday, <laughs> okay, so, but then there's Monday, right, right, see, see, that's the way adrenal faith works, we get this burst of energy, and then we need a nap, yeah, but, but we're talking about coronary faith here in these verses, And coronary faith just keeps going. Coronary faith doesn't take a two-week vacation. Coronary faith is, is the steady determination to keep going regardless of the temptation to quit. Coronary faith is staying power. And and I'm telling you, that's what the church that first heard this sermon in the Sermon to the Hebrews, they needed to hear that 2,000 years ago in perhaps the capital city of Rome. This little house church was meeting and worshiping in a culture that was becoming more and more hostile. And these people came to church, and they were gathering, and they were getting exhausted, and they they were getting tired. They were getting tired. They were getting tired of Christianity. They were getting tired of worshiping. They were getting tired of trying to live for Christ. They were getting tired of praying and serving. Let, I mean, let's just admit, admit it, it happens, not just two thousand years ago, but today, faith fatigue happens. I get it. I get it. and and here's the here's the thing. see, see the faith fatigue is not just the the depletion of the energy you need to run a long distance race it's the concern about whether our race even matters Let's see so is the effort of my faith making any difference i, I praise god how busy we are here uh, at windsor road as a church community there's there's uh, uh The feeding of the hungry and we're sending people on missions trips and we've got an active children's and student ministry and we're teaching discipleship classes on worldview and how to interpret the Bible and learning to forgive. Is it making a difference? See, see, part of what drives faith fatigue is the horrifying thought that all of our input into loving God and loving others might go on for a long time with absolutely no evidence that it makes a difference. Does it make a difference? Do our services make a difference? Does having a choir make a difference? Does praying with the elders, does that make a difference? So so 2,000 years ago, these people were wondering, is this making a difference? See, see, 2,000 years ago... uh, your religious commitments were very public. See, today we kind of have the luxury of religious anonymity if we choose. But not 2000 years ago. You see Rome endorsed emperor worship. That's what a good Roman did. You go to the you go to the temple that's been dedicated to Augustus Caesar and you offer a sacrifice to him as if he were a god. It doesn't matter if you believe he was a god or not. You just do it, because that's what good Romans did. But Christians, by the word of God, and by their conscience and commitment to Jesus Christ, they refused, and the culture said, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? And, 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 and this church started to have some of its members hauled off to prison, and other other church members who minister to them in prison, they too were targeted. And there's already been a wave of persecution here at the reading of this of this sermon. There's already been a wave. And, and, and they're growing weary. And, and there actually is more persecution to come. They're having to run the agony. And some of them just started to stop. And they started to shrink back. And they started to quit. What's a preacher to do? Scold them? Shame them? Hmm. Not this preacher. No, the preacher here actually affirms them. Yeah, in in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, the preacher says, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So, faith fatigue? I get it but then the preacher says let's look at the big picture here let's get the big picture here see see yes the Christian life is a long hard race and 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 it's a race in which we do not run alone we don't yeah you're not running your race yes Jesus has the race that he wants you to run but you're not running that race alone see there's a community and, and this congregation, hear me, church, this congregation is a spiritual family. Married or not, single or not, divorced or not, Amen. having buried your spouse or not, orphaned or not, this community is a family, and, and by God's grace, it's a family from every tribe and nation and language. And, and you don't have to know everything about the Bible. To be a part of this family. Your pastor doesn't know everything about the Bible. Your pastor's still learning. And, and you, you don't even have to own a Bible to come here. We'll give you one. We would love that. You just need to be here. You just need to come. And, and here's why. Jesus does not hold qualifying heats to run in his race. Jesus doesn't have tryouts for his team. You run in his race. And you're never going to run alone. Verse 1 tells us this. Do you you see it? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now stay with me here, church, because, because he's not saying, just pretend in your mind that you're not alone. Use your imagination. That's not what he's saying. He's he's making a statement about reality. Verse 1 informs us we are surrounded by a great cloud. Cloud, not clouds, plural. One cloud, a great cloud. One cloud, one community, one people group comprised of faithful witnesses the preacher claims that they are still alive though their physical bodies have died we're talking about the folks in hebrews chapter 11 abel enoch noah abraham the the spirits of these witnesses these spiritual witnesses live in the unseen yet very real heavenly realm and they They constitute a single community, a cloud. And what are they doing? What are they doing? Look at the text. Look at the text. These witnesses have finished the race, and they are cheering us on. They've not left the stadium. They're they're in the stands, and it's packed, and it's standing room only, and they're shouting out, stay in the race. It's worth it. You're not the first preacher to face the struggles that you're facing. You're not the first person with a brain tumor. You're not the first person to go through a divorce. You're not the first person to get fired. You're not the first person who didn't get accepted to your college of choice. And you're not the first person in your challenging parenting season. And you're not the first person with an EGR boss. That's extra grace required. <laughs> you're not the first. You're not the first. You have one, I, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so does our church staff. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the first, though, and you're not the last either. See, you're not the last. Read your Bible. Immerse yourself in the cloud of scriptures that tell of the saints who lived and died before you. Read their triumphs and temptations and their struggles and their sufferings and their sins. Read their prayers. I mean, there's King David. He committed adultery and he murdered. He finished. There's Abraham who had this habit of lying to save his own neck. He finished. There's Jacob who cheated his brother out of the birthright and his father out of the blessing of the firstborn. He finished. There's Rahab the prostitute. There's Job who suffered. There's Samson. All of them imperfect. All of them faithful. They finished. Can you hear them? By God's grace, through faith, we did it and you can do it. You're not alone, so run. Run also. And I'm not just talking about Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Moses and Rahab. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the contemporary saints that, that we know from our church family. Why, there's Bob, and then there's Mary, and then there's, there's Janice, and then there's Caleb, and John, and there's Deb, there's Roscoe, there's Violet, there's Warren, there's Stephanie, there's Jerry, and all the others from our church family. These witnesses surround us. Can you hear what they're saying? Keep moving forward. Keep moving. When you have done the will of God, you will receive your reward. He has your na- days numbered and your death is not the end of you. And these who have finished their race now witness our race, and they, and they, so they're not just witnessing our race and encouraging us, they're witnessing to us. You hear them? He's risen. He's, even now these witnesses are saying, don't look at us. Look at who we've been looking at, the Lord Jesus Christ. That that verb, looking to Jesus in verse 2, is is actually the verb, looking away. That is, looking away from the distractions and locking eyes on Christ, our our author and perfecter. Oh, that's, uh, it's, 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 it's the word arch leader and completer it's archegos and closer he's the champion he's our captain he's our prime leader he's our pioneer jesus came and trailblazed a way for us he came and he lived and he died and he was raised to life, never to die again. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we can start the path and stay on the path and run the path and endure the path and finish the path. He's the arch leader. He's the closer. That's the word in verse 2, perfecter. Perfecter. Oh, oh, the Apostle Paul put it this way in, in Philippians. Paul said, he who began a good work in you, that's Archagos, that's arch leader, will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. That's the closer. Oh, Jesus did that. He did that. And why did he run? Look, look at what the text says. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Scorning its shame. That's a, such a fascinating way to say it. How do you scorn shame? How do you do that? Well, remember, crucifixion was not just a torturous death, but it was the kind of death that was intended to publicly dehumanize the victim, degrade the victim. But Jesus scorned the shame. He scorned the shame of the cross. And I love how one Author imagines Jesus speaking to shame as if shame were a person. Listen to me, shame. Listen to me, shame. Do you see the joy in front of me? Oh, compared to the joy, you are nothing, shame. You are worthless, shame. You're lent, shame. I spurn you. You have no power. Joy is my power. Why would I look at you? Shame. You ugly, despicable, Thing. shame. I will trash you like a filthy rag and soon put on my royal resurrected robe. Shame you fool! Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Oh, Jesus joy scorned the shame. And and what was his joy? We're his joy. We're, the, the joy of going to the cross by the Father's will to redeem us with his own life. Uh, Hebrews 10, 7. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God. So, So Jesus would not take his eyes off his Father's will, even on the cross. He didn't care about his loss of dignity. He just cared about you. he endured as he fixed his eyes and therefore you endure as you fix your eyes fix your eyes on christ and not just merely the crucified christ or the buried christ or even the resurrected christ what's the text say the 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 christ who is seated at the right hand of the throne of god The, the christ who sovereignly rules Whatever comes into your life has first come through him to us. And so if it comes to us for whatever reason, it comes for his reason. And we just need to keep our eyes focused on him. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Church, your eyes were made to eat. Like your stomach, your eyes get hungry. Like your throat, your eyes get thirsty. And like your feet, your eyes wander. Your eyes were made for Christ. See? And the good news of Christianity is not to do more for Jesus. The good news of Christianity is not work hard for Jesus. Labor for Jesus. That's not the good news. The good news, you know what the good news is? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You can run your race if you fix your eyes on Christ and you keep your eyes fixed on Christ. And to do that, the text tells us that we are going to have to look, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so. Notice the distinction between every weight and sin. You see that? So, so, so not all weights in your life are sinful. They're just unnecessary. Let's see? I, I, look, you can run a marathon in overalls and cowboy boots if you want. Okay. It's just not very smart. Okay? So so too often in our decision-making, we ask questions like, is this a sin? Is that a sin? I'm not convinced that's the best question for long-distance runners. The better question is this. Does this weight I'm carrying help me run to Christ? Don't ask what's wrong with it. Ask a better question. Will it? help me run will this help me endure for jesus because if we're feeling weighted down and exhausted the problem isn't jesus It's not he's risen he's energizing and if we're feeling weighed down and exhausted the problem isn't the race that's set before us i want brother so-and-so's race lord no 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 that's not the problem now the problem is something else And that something else may be permissible, but it may not be beneficial. And if it keeps us from running an unleashed all-out race, the preacher lovingly says to this congregation, get rid of it, get get rid of it. You can't run a marathon dragging a U-Haul, can't. Folks, sooner or later life has a way of draining us of our own resources of our own strength, you know. The things we could handle when we were 31, that's just a lot harder to handle when you're 61. (laughs) But it's true. You know this. It's true. We slow down. We just don't have as much energy. We grow weary and lose heart. We become faint-hearted. Literally, we grow weary and lose our heart life we just the life just sucks right out of us and we're drained and the preacher says i don't want that to happen to you being a christian is not escapism it's it's not some pie in the sky pipe dream it's seeing the world for what it is that this is a dangerous world that bad things happen and so part of what it means to look to Christ is to stop expecting this world to supply you with what it was never meant to. There's only one person who can supply the resources for this agonizing race of life. And Hebrews chapter 12 calls him the arch leader, the closer. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, calls him the great shepherd of the sheep. The God of peace has brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And look what he is doing. Look what he's doing. He is equipping you with everything good so that you may do his will. He is your supply. He is your fuel. He is your strength. He is your power. He is working in you what is pleasing in his sight. So, so yes, yes, all we do in the name of Christ is worth it. Every Bible study, every bag of groceries, every discipleship prayer group, every hospital visit, every missions trip, every baptism, every spiritual conversation, every choir. We're going to need to build a bigger choir loft, I can tell. It's worth it. Whether whether we visit with people on this campus or in your living room or lunchroom at work, we passionately pursue our great shepherd. Because he is... And we'll be forever the great shepherd. And we will be forever his sheep. Oh, we're more than sheep. We're heirs. We're forgiven. We've been acquitted. But we're always going to be sheep. And even in the new heavens and the new earth, We will always look to Him and depend upon Him and seek Him and love Him. And I think that the reality that this text is trying to project upon our lives is that we have a shepherd, and we're in such a relationship that when we keep our eyes fixed on Him, we're not anxious about the front page news. We don't feel the doom of of the Sunday scaries. For here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The city whose arch leader and closer is our great shepherd. Oh, Eric Little wrote this. He did write this. Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. Our broken lives are not lost or useless. God's love is still working. He comes in and he takes the calamity and he uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. I tell you, this text is written to fuel endurance so that we will go forward by faith. Church family, Jesus Christ is our great shepherd brought back from the dead. So then, put on your running shoes. Fix your eyes on him. Get lean. Get rid of any excess weights and run lean. And you know what they say at the starting line. You know, you know, you know they say this. They say, on your mark, get set, and go. There. You said it.